The following is a paid program. Portions of this program may have been pre-recorded. All views or opinions expressed are solely the responsibility of the sponsored. The host and guests do not reflect that of this station, ownership, management, or staff. This station does not endorse or support any claims made. The content of this program is provided for educational and informational purposes. It is strictly up to the listener to accept or reject what is presented. Thank you for listening. Mr. Connor is a registered representative and managing principal with Connor Wealth Management. Securities offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, member FINRA, SIPC. Opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the hosts, its guests, and callers, and not those of WLBL, its management, staff, or sponsors. Nothing contained in this program should be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell a security, and if applicable, only after the prospectus has been read and understood by the customer. These decisions can only be made after consideration of an investor's investment objective and the investment suitability. Wow, now that we have the the whole legal department uh, doing our disclaimers, good morning. We are, you are listening to Ask the Pro here on WLVL 1340 AM, streaming worldwide at WLVL.com. My guest this morning is Mr. Eric Connor, President, CEO, Chief Bottle Washer at Connor Wealth Management. Good morning, Mr. Connor. How are you this morning? Good morning. I guess that extra disclaimer is one way to fill, you know, 30 seconds if uh, if you need to. We'll just double up and yeah. it's like having protection both on both hands as we uh, dig into the That's information right. of the day. Yeah, well, the attorneys say we have to do that these days. So. There you go. There so you go. we say, okay, we're going to do that. And uh, all bases are covered. Now, talk about covering some bases. Holy smoke. Since the last time we have spoke, there's never been a dull moment in the world of finance. And by the way, folks, if you would like to join the conversation with Mr. Connor, feel free to give us a call at 433-1433. That's 433-1433. And uh, we'll be more than happy to take your calls and talk about your finances and how we can uh, make sure that your uh, retirement is going to be safe and secure and you can live the happily ever after lifestyle. Wow, that is, that's that's quite a promise there. <laughs> well, I have a lot of faith in you. We'll answer as many questions as we get. How about that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, you asked me just a couple minutes ago, Eric, what kind of how you want to get started and uh i i gotta i gotta totally throw one little curveball at you sure. you know on my way over here of course i'm listening to the station right and you have always um sort of those end of the show for tradio call-ins yes and i think today took the cake you had a guy call in selling on tradio a 1928 chevrolet yes and it struck me in the moment and i forget what the cost was but it, it it's a it apparently must be a really beautiful vehicle yes yeah, 12000 but think about it for a second that mm-hmm. is now a 95 year old vehicle it is that's, that's crazy unbelievable to think of that yeah like hey i've got this 1928 chevy at my house like okay but it's 95 years old and it runs and it's beautiful. Like yeah. that is absolutely dumbfounding at this point to think about that, that we've got mechanized running things that are that old. It's, it, it is crazy. And, and it's, yeah, it's showroom, showroom condition from what he says. Yeah. Like it, it, it just leaves me flabbergasted. And then I, and I'll have one more tangent. And then it struck me, and I've thought of this in the past, think of how crazy it is that, uh, sorry for 
sometimes we, I just don't dive right into the finances because these random thoughts come out. Think about the Wright brothers flying a plane. And I don't know what year it was. Let's say it was 1904 or something like that. Right. That's the first time a mechanized device got off the ground, right? Hot air balloons had existed for 150 years or something like that at that point. Mm-hmm. But you get a plane to go off the ground. Within 65 years, we landed people on the moon and brought them back. That's so unbelievable to me how quickly we can progress with technology and our capabilities. And that's sort of the, the, the reason I brought that up is sort of that's what we can relate into the world of finance at times. And, and as we're talking about economic numbers and where growth is going to come from and how does it affect us, um, you know, you look back at these past changes right whether it was radio when it got invented or the automobile or the airplane that led to us landing people on the moon and bringing them back in one person's lifetime like that stuff is remarkable oh it's this is a very it's like the old chinese uh, curse you know may you live in interesting times that's right it's the blessing and the curse that's right right. we're here so uh we are in this moment in time where there's so much information coming at us, right? We've got uh, bank trauma around um, this idea that they're susceptible to failure. Well, you know, the government, we've got FDIC insurance, and if you're below $250,000, you are okay. But what we're seeing is a lot of stress on these what you would call mid-level banks. And we've had tremendous pressure put on them, uh, partially by hedge funds and short sellers trying to push them lower and profit off those lower prices. The actual decline is where they're profiting when you're a short seller. And so we've had this tremendous pressure and we've had – I forget now. So it was two weeks ago that I was here. Maybe it's only been the one bank failure in that time for First Republic out of San Francisco. Um, And I will say that what is sort of going on with the pressure on the existing banks, totally unrelated to the economy. None of this relates to credit losses or decisions with bad loans, that sort of thing. It is a byproduct of raising interest rates, and now people can take their money out and they can get better – they can earn better interest somewhere else, right? So the the mobility of money, much like us talking about airplanes and, and automobiles, the mobility of the money is causing some stress in the banking system. Sure. And for people that have long had positions in perfectly stable institutions well that foundation is a little less stable right now and so it's really 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 thrown um some uh a a lack of confidence into the system as it relates to what to do with those bank stocks so we've seen a lot of a lot of the names around here come under pressure when you think of m&t or key bank or citizens um they're all in that mid-level bank area that I was talking about. Um, It it seems like the real trouble has been focused on the West Coast, 
um, partially because of just the way the tech industry works out there and the names that are involved. But they've all seen declines, you know, so you've got perfectly well-run banks that might be down 30 or 35 percent in yeah. a month or in a week. Right. It's it's uh, that part's a really, really challenging time when when the base um, business that they're in is not having a problem. There aren't credit losses that are creating these stock declines. So it's a real, real challenge. Just sort of wanted to get that out there and talk about it. Um, you know, we've there's lots of people around here from the first Niagara days that own a lot of key bank shares. Um, there's plenty of people that own M and T and 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 uh, Citizens Bank, and so um, you know, it, it's an era of stress in the system, and we'll have to just let some time pass mm-hmm. to see how it gets resolved. Yeah, because I, I, I was just reading the the FDIC just. Um Provided two hundred and twenty-eight point two billion dollars uh, in lender relief for Silicon Valley and signature in First Republic takeovers. Yeah, what that what that creation was? It was a program that they are. So when banks have too many deposits, they will go and buy bonds, and in theory, they're going to hold those bonds to maturity. But in times of stress, they might need to actually gain the liquidity by selling those bonds. And so the FDIC program created liquidity for those banks. I see. And that way, for the people that wanted to redeem their money or move, close their accounts, there was liquid cash allowing them to do that. Right. Because yeah. to put it in perspective, the whole New York state budget was $229 billion. Yeah. So, so that's less than a billion dollars difference. Yeah. So the old leeway within the banks, if you take in a dollar of deposits, you can make approximately $10 worth of loans. And and so there's always a mismatch between um, sort of the size of the bank and its liquidity and at any moment in time. And that's the very function of FDIC insurance is that it's to provide the level of confidence so people don't need to have a 1930 bank run because you know that the federal government is there to step in as long as you maintain the right level of balance at the bank. Right. And that way, again, it, it's sort of – I can sometimes just end up circling around the same thing, saying it the same way, but – it, the FDIC insurance provides the level of confidence so that we don't need to have a traditional bank run the way it existed prior to the FDIC insurance existing back after the Great Depression. Right. So well it, it really is one of the best accomplishments of uh, the government creation of an entity of like, did it help? Did it serve a purpose? And it does because – the banks are actually the ones funding into that, and then it bails out us as consumers or citizens if the bank actually has a failure situation. So, right, and, and it's up and down right now. It's crazy. I'm just reading about you know First Horizon and TD Bank called off a 13 billion dollar deal. They just called it off. So yeah, it's not going to happen. That would have made the sixth largest banking corporation in history. So that was interesting. Um, the government just couldn't find a way. So that uh, merger had been announced a very long time ago. I want to say 18 months ago. Wow. And, um, of course, T 
TD stands for Toronto Dominion, so a, a foreign bank, which okay. in and of itself isn't a problem because they have U.S. subsidiaries. Um, and the and the Fed in in their oversight just couldn't get to a place where they were approving the merger and the uh, merger agreement had been extended and extended and extended and extended uh, probably four times. And eventually the banks just had to throw up their hands and say, all right, we can't we can't operate like this indefinitely where we're sort of engaged, but we don't have a wedding date. Right. <laughs> they, have, they have no they had no end right, sure. end in sight to when the government would approve. And so they eventually, in essence, called off the marriage. Right. So there's there's no engagement until you have a ring and a date. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty accurate. That's right. Okay. That's and there's right. one more banking thing. Jay, uh, Morgan's takeover of the Republic. The headline is a shady sweetheart deal. What's so shady about the deal? Uh, I I don't know that I would call it shady. Uh, although those headlines love to always put it put out the ominous uh, nature of it. So what happens with when a bank becomes insolvent as opposed to someone buying the other bank, right? You right. In a typical situation, they would buy the other bank and the shareholders would get some value for their shares. What happened with First Republic is that the government comes in, declares the bank insolvent, and the equity shareholders, in essence, go to zero. And then there are the assets of the bank. Okay. And those assets are all the deposit holders, right? The client accounts, the loans, that sort of thing. So then the government wants banks to put in offers to buy those assets. And in this scenario... Uh, and in Silicon Valley's case a few weeks ago with another bank, which I won't remember it exactly. It was like First Citizens Bank shares of something. Um, the the banks can put in bids. Well, let's face it. They're not looking to pay top dollar for those assets. So right. in this case, J.P. Morgan put in a bid and they get a pretty – interesting mix of deposits and accounts and loans and uh, new business relationships and they do get it for a pretty good deal but it was cut there was competition so it's not like the government just handed it to them on a silver platter there were other people other banks involved in the bidding but at the end of the day they're not going to bid top dollar uh, because there is some risk involved and so um, certainly there's an advantage to the acquiring bank because they can do some risk sharing with the government. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in case there are bad loans in there, the the, uh, the government programs will will pick up some of the loss. Um, some people view that as a bailout. Uh, it, it's not really structured like that. Uh, it doesn't come off the backs of us as citizens. It comes out of the banking sector themselves. Okay. So it's a little quirky to understand like that. Um, Obviously, not everyone would agree in quite how I presented it like that is not a bailout. But it's not it's not structured as just money coming from the U.S. government that comes from us as citizens and gets handed to them. It's it's different than that. Well, that's reassuring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At some level. Yeah. Because yeah. it's all our money at, at one point. 
right? Or correct. What hap- What this is, and it's it's the idea though that they're not being handed a check, right. for taking for the privilege of taking over the company, um, the the insolvent bank. What it is is if there's losses, the whole program that gets funded by the banking sector would mm-hmm. be involved in funding those losses. So it's not directly out of the pocketbook of us as citizens. Well, that, that, that's the challenge. That is reassuring, I yeah. suppose. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Mr. Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management here on ASA Pro WLVL 1340 AM, streaming worldwide at WLVL.com. Now, if you have missed any of the programs that Mr. Connor has had, you can just go to WLVL.com, hit the podcast button, choose your dates because it goes way, way, way back. So if you're a new listener and uh, would like to gain some of Mr. Connor's insights into the uh, financial world, uh, feel free to do that. It's a free of charge. Just go on the website and pop it up and you can listen away. Now, Mr. Connor is located at 5860 Snyder Drive here in the city of Lockport. So if you would like to have a consultation with him to talk about your personal financial future, you can give his office a call at 439-1143. That's 439-1143. And uh, he will be happy to have a consultation with you. Now, until then, because we still have another half an hour on the air live here in studio, you can call the studio line and and join our conversation. Ask questions, make comments, uh Give your opinions. However you want to join the conversation is fine by calling 433-1433. That's 433-1433. So, uh, so Eric, I guess the, the feds and the job market and, and rates, you know, again, it has been a crazy, crazy week. The feds raised another 25 percentage uh, points, um, and but yet the uh, job numbers were down, which is actually a good thing so uh uh prior months had an adjustment lower on the job creation yeah so um and i don't quite have it in front of me so for april two hundred fifty-three thousand jobs were created that's good right we we like jobs um but one of the interesting things that came out in in the report is how the march jobs number and the february jobs number uh, got refined, and this always there's always a, a fine tuning or an adjustment l- a month and two months after the initial report. So they got reduced a little, and I would say that having February and March that both had above average job creation initially get reduced a little bit, and now having the job growth of April be two hundred fifty three thousand, I think that's better. For what the Fed is looking for from from a jobs basis, right? We for a long time have said the Fed's kind of a blunt instrument. They're going to raise rates until the job market cools down. And it hasn't quite happened. But we know there are certain aspects that are starting to change in the economy. One of the things being what reaction we see in the price of oil we know that there's been some moderating of demand because the price of oil has gone down and we've had that weakness now for a period of time so when february and march get lowered on the job creation numbers it's not like they got lowered to nothing or got lowered to jobs lost it's just fewer jobs were created 
And so I think given that we just saw another 25 basis point increase on the uh, Fed funds rate on Wednesday and the reaction in the market on the banking side, given that the Fed is pushing so hard that it's starting to, in essence, create these problems in the banking sector. I think if the job market can moderate a little here, it will give a little bit of breathing room to the Fed at some point to back off their interest rate increases. And so it's hard to get in the business of predicting the Fed completely. I am mildly surprised that they did increase rates 25 basis points on Wednesday. Not a not a total surprise, but I would think given the stress in the banking system that they would have backed off. But I think this jobs report might open that up a little bit more so that they have a little more room to wiggle through. Yeah, that's a pretty optimistic jobs report. But we have a caller. Great. Good morning, caller. Oh, they are gone. We had a caller. Call back. Yes, 433-1433. So do we think that 253,000 jobs is an optimistic number? I think we'll probably see that fine-tuned a little lower yeah. again. You know, my my baseline um, at this point really is a couple hundred thousand jobs a month. Um, and so if we go below that, it doesn't mean uh, that we have – it doesn't necessarily mean that we have any kind of huge problem. But a couple hundred thousand jobs a month me- means that we're treading water in the economy. And let's face it, that's what the Fed is looking for at this point. So within this jobs report, we also get wage increase numbers. Year over year, wages are up 4.4%. I would say that kind of wage growth is above average for what we've seen over the last 20 years. I would say people should be relatively happy that wage growth is at that level. Uh, My personal opinion is if that wage growth partially explains some of the inflation we're seeing in the economy, I don't have a problem with that kind of inflation. I think if more wages create a little bit of the inflation, I think that's fine. Other people will disagree with me. That, you know, that's what makes the world go round is we can't all agree because nothing would ever, no stock would ever trade and nothing would ever get invented. But uh, I think a little bit of wage growth like that after so many years of problems would be fine. All right. Well, our caller is back. Let's see what we got going on here. Good morning, caller. You are on WLVL with Mr. Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management. What is your thoughts or comment or question? Hello? <laughs> Says they're there, but they're not there. Call back. <laughs> Take- Okay. Take off the mute button. Yes, the mute button will get you every time. <laughs> so we're, we, oh, let's try it again. Good morning, caller. You're on WLVO. Hello. Hello. Good morning. There, there we are. are. Yeah. I wasn't the caller. I'm another caller. But anyway, uh, how are you doing, gentlemen? We're great. How are Very you? Very well. Thank you. Good, thanks. You know, when you, um, Look at the market. You have to look at the situation. And, yeah, bank stocks have really been uh, been hit lately. Um, but is it because the banks are in a poor situation than they were before, or is it just because of what's been happening? And Like I said, the interest rates has, has had a lot to do with it. So I, I see the uh, bank stocks 
as being a bargain. And I'm one of the ones who uh, have KeyBank. Some I purchased on my own, some from First Niagara. So I looked yesterday at KeyBank, and I saw that was quite a bargain. I, I, I loaded up yesterday. Today is up uh, 8%. And um, so I, I think you have to look and see just what, what, what's going on with the, with the market. And there are times when, there, when there's uh, bargains. You better believe it, right? The old the old axiom of buy when there's blood in the streets. Yeah, a lot of people look at things. In fact, I, I remember Mike, uh, Microsoft, this was a number of years ago. It, it shares went down like $5 in, in, in a couple of days. And a lot of people would say, oh, my gosh, i got to get out. This is when the stock was like around $35. And I said, are you kidding? I said, Microsoft isn't going to go out of business. I loaded up then, too. And uh, so you, you have to look at the situation. Uh, with, with what I got KeyBank at, uh, the dividend, I think, comes out to a little over 8%. So I can afford to wait for KeyBank to go up because I'm going to be getting a nice return while, while I'm waiting. That's right. And, and you know, you it's it's one of those situations where if you are confident in this in the institution, in this case, key bank for you, if you're confident and you've got a longer horizon, it can work out really, really well. You can put those shares on dividend reinvestment and then you're reinvesting at your uh, cheaper price that you've gotten right here. You know, now I'll say the the. Um, the challenging side is pretend though that you were a first republic shareholder and it went from 100 to 50 to 30 to 15 to 10 to 5 <laughs> right to bust right and so if you've got confidence again if you've got confidence in the one you're buying it can work out really really well but to your point you have to do your homework in the sense of Figuring out is why it's going down related to the company or is it going down because of someone else's, you know, some competition of theirs? Is it going down because of some other problem in maybe just their sector? And that's one of the big questions. Now, I will say, uh, and I don't have it in front of me, but I know a report came out this morning that one of the key bank uh, directors – I believe it was one of the board of directors, not an executive, um, did a purchase of shares. And, of course, that that sort of news has to be public. You can't do it in a vacuum. And so that would also help support the price on on the next day as well, right? It's a show of confidence from someone actively involved in the business of the bank showing that they have confidence to go in with their own money and buy shares at that price. Right. Yeah, I've done pretty well doing what I did, but I've made my mistakes too. It's not like I'm a genius because. <laughs> well, yeah, no one, no one bats a thousand percent in investing. No, right, right, because I've made made some mistakes and in, in invested, and I thought in in, in uh, companies I thought, wow, this is the time to do it, and it wasn't the time. It just it, it never really uh, prevailed. But uh, usually it does work out. So you have to you have to uh, I guess look at the average. What you know you're going to have the, the better ones. Uh, which ho- hopefully overtake the uh, the poorer choices, and uh, so um, you know it's it's and and and, and be informed. Listen to shows like yours and and read, and uh, you know it, it, it surely helps. Yeah, and there's there's an old expression that um, uh, really does stick true, 
and it's let your winners run and cut your losses short. And when it, you know, if, if you're buying something a little bit on a whim or your intention is to own it on a short-term basis, don't stick around, right? If that, if you buy something at 40 and it goes to 34 and your intention was for a trade, well, the market just told you you were wrong, right? And so you just, right. you just cut, cut bait and get out of that one. But if your intention is that you want to own it for the next 10 years and you're comfortable with it, well, you're not worried that it went from 40 to 34, you know? And so then you might want to average down and, and that's, that's just kind of the difference, right? Of, of what, what's the purpose of that, of that purchase? Was it a trade, which is shorter in term, or was it an, an investment where you've got a very long runway into the future that you want to own that stock? And that's sort of back to when you mentioned about Microsoft, right? You, you remember that trade from years and years and years ago, but your point of it at that time was, well, it might be down five bucks, but I want to own it for the next five and ten years. I'm not worried about the next five minutes on that stock. And I do tend to be a long-term guy. That's right, and that's how you acquire those. That's how you acquire those long-term gains, right? Like that, the Buffett. Buffett's made his money not through magic, just through a long time of owning stock, really good stocks that pay good dividends. Right. Well, listen. Thank you for uh, uh, your show. I, I sure uh, enjoy listening to it uh, uh, several times on a month, and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks for calling and call back anytime. Bye. What a nice call, huh? There you go. That's good. That's, that's a good one. Yeah, it was. And you can join this conversation too, folks. That's that's right. You sitting in that chair right there. You can pick up your phone and call 433-1433 and uh, put in your two cents worth because everybody's two cents worth adds up to more than two cents. <laughs> Over time. <laughs> Over and it time. builds all our knowledge, right? If you have a question. That's right. We'll see if we can get to the bottom of an answer and, and we're good. So, you know, just to point out again, that idea of the caller stepped in after with this turmoil, he stepped in, he bought some key bank. He's comfortable with that. I pointed out the other side of this turmoil and used one of the banks that got taken over, First Republic. That stock had been above $100 a share and just went down, 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 literally to insolvency this past weekend getting taken over by J.P. Morgan. And so that's the risk, right? Like that's the trouble. And, and if you were blindly buying it just because it was down, right, forget take away the name, but just – if all you were interested in is that you bought it because it was down and someone will say, and I get this in my office at times, someone will say, well, like, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? And I'll go, it goes to zero. Right. You lose your money. Yeah. So again, take away the name. If it went from a hundred to 20 and you bought it at 20 and said, well, it's already down 80%. What's the worst that can happen? It can go from 20 to zero and you lose a hundred percent of what you put in. Right. right. Like that's, that is the risk of of doing a trade like that. So, again, for the caller, he he has dug in. He's comfortable with KeyBank. He feels like he's got a good handle on what they're doing. And so he's using this turmoil to acquire some more shares with currently a really high dividend yield, right? And so his belief will be that the share price will rebound 
the dividend yield would then come down as the price increases. And he'll be happy because he's making money on both parts of that. He's getting paid the dividend and he's getting the capital appreciation. Again, keep in mind, the risk, the other side, it becomes maybe there's a dividend cut. And then now he's not going to have the dividend yield that he expected. Okay, that could happen. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's a huge problem with the company, but it does, you know, there are dividend cuts out there in in the world. Um, sometimes it's because a company wants to conserve capital. Sometimes it's because they want to put that money to use somewhere else. But there are times when the business is impaired enough and the company is concerned that their share price isn't going to rebound and they're going to cut the dividend to put it at a more appropriate level, right? So there have been times where telecommunication companies might have a pretty good yield. The share price comes down and they're kind of like, uh-oh, well, now we're yielding 7%. We don't want to yield 7%. And so they might cut their dividend in half so that now at that lower price, they're only yielding 35 or 4%. Was it the right decision? I don't know. History will tell you that often – it's probably not a great business um, when they've when they've had that scenario play out. Again, that has nothing to do with the the purchase of KeyBank there by the the caller. But when you see those dividend cuts, sometimes it's related to a business that just doesn't have the confidence they're going to rebound. So we'll keep on the lookout for stuff like that. You can see that at times with. Uh, the way oil companies have traded over time, you know, they might increase their dividend when oil is high. And then if oil goes low, they might cut their dividend with the idea. And they'll come right out and say it. They'll say, yeah, you know, at 50 bucks a barrel, we don't we're not going to be as generous with the dividend. But if oil goes to 80 or 90, we'll be happy to raise it back up and expand our distributions again. So it just depends on the industry that you're that you're looking at. The banking sector is a little more interesting right now. Um, let's face it, the cost of doing business for them just got a lot more expensive over the last six weeks. They're losing their low, the, the deposits that have sat there for the last few years that people were happy to just keep safe and not get any interest. Now that interest rates are as high as they've become, those deposits are leaving the banks and they're going to go find higher yielding um, investments, whether it's T-bills or CDs or whatever. And what will happen by default, it means that the banks will have a higher cost of capital. They're either going to start raising the interest they pay or they're going to sell more CDs, which costs more for them to raise that capital than a checking and savings deposit. And what it will mean is that there'll be a it'll be a little harder for them to make the same dollar of profit because their expenses have gotten a little more expensive internally for them. Right. So keep that in mind as we as you sort of look at the impairment in the banking industry right now. Absolutely know that they will have a little more trouble maintaining the profitability that they've had over the last two and three years with ultra low interest rates. So that's part of the adjustment that is going on Mm -hmm. in the banking sector right now. And then, you know, that's the difference of figuring it out um, 
uh, in terms of where the the new fair value should be for those stocks, right? And and so that's where you dig in and decide. Okay, well, I like this one. I don't like that one. I feel confident about this dividend. Maybe this one over here, I'm a little shakier about, and I'm going to avoid that one. Um, but there's definitely going to be some opportunities out there because when you've got the entire banking sector take away. Uh, the big four of J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and Citigroup, all those mid-tier banks, they've all suffered over the last few weeks. And again, it's you're talking 20 and 30 and 40 percent suffering wow. for banks that are not having fundamental problems. So, um, you know, I can't just throw names out and, and tell you to go buy this one or that one. Right. But I will say, in that mix of where just a, a bunch of them drop in value. Some of those are going to turn into winners going forward. Right. Now, with like like KeyBank is our example. I've been with them since they were Marine Midland. And they've gone through several name changes since then. How big of a bank is KeyBank? Is it, uh, is it local, regional? So Who owns they, it? Yeah, so they'd be a... They, you can use different terms. I use mid-level. And what I, what I mean when I use that kind of term is if you think of, again, those biggest banks, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and Citigroup, they're in their own little universe. Right. They are so big. J.P. Morgan has more than 10% of the U.S. deposit base Jeez. in their business. So when – when I talk about that next tier of businesses, the interesting thing becomes there's a lot of room in there, right? If you're bank number six or bank number 16 or bank number 26, you're still really large within, right. you know, within the context of the country. You are still a really large bank. So let me pull up. On key, just to get a detail here, because okay. I don't know it in my head. All right. Well, while you're doing that, I'll talk to the folks again. You are listening to Eric Connor, who is the president and CEO of Connor Wealth Management. If you would like to have a consultation with him, his office is right here in Lockport at 5860 Snyder Drive, and his office phone number is four three nine one one four three. That's four three nine eleven forty three. And he'll be happy to have a consultation with you to uh, see about your financial health. In the meantime, you are more than welcome to join our conversation here as we are live and on the air in WLVL 1340. And you can call us at 433-1433. That again, that's 433-1433 to join the conversation with uh, Mr. Connor. So let me, uh, I'll throw it out to you like this. When, when we talk about stock size, we talk market capitalization. And what that means is the price per share times all the shares outstanding. The idea would be how much would it cost if I was trying to buy all the shares and take the company over? At their current prices, I'll give you three, I'll give you three names and their market sizes just so you can sort of see the difference. And again, these are all sizable companies on the banking sector. But KeyBank is around $9 billion currently in their market cap. That's pretty good. Fits into the mid, mid cap area of the, of the market. M&T Bank, just short of $20 billion. So by market cap, about twice the size, 
actually, I probably wouldn't have guessed it just off the top of my head. I wouldn't yeah. have guessed that it was about twice. Uh, and then another company, which isn't as well known because they had a name change because of a merger, um, but it's Truist Financial. They're predominantly down south. And they, uh, for baseball fans, they are the sponsor of the Atlanta Braves ballpark. So that's why I mentioned them, just because it is a name. If you sort of look around, you will see it down south. Truest Field? Yeah, or Truest Park, whatever it's called. Yeah. But whichever. So they were SunTrust and BB&T merging together. And so Truest is a very big south East Bank, and their market cap is about twice that of M&T. But I would put them, if you sort of wonder about, you know, how big are they? Are they national? Are they regional? They all do business around the country in different levels, right? Some only have loan offices in certain cities. They may not be in every state. Most, uh, once you get out of the J.P. Morgan and Citigroup and Bank of America and Wells Fargo, you don't really have anyone that's in all 50 states. It's it's just not the way they work. But when you think of Key Bank, yeah, they're from the East Coast to the West Coast, right? Maybe not everywhere in between, but they're they're everywhere. They're they're all over. M&T predominantly is East Coast from the Northeast to the Mid-Atlantic region uh with other operations. And then Truist is predominantly in the Southeast. But uh, and that means Florida, Atlanta, the Carolinas, that sort of idea. But their market cap is wildly different, right? Nine billion, almost twenty billion, and thirty-eight billion. But they're all pretty comparable in terms of what do they offer, what can they, what can they do, what kind of loans can they provide. Um, so it so it is really sort of a weird answer to try to say, like, yeah, yeah they're. You might call them super regionals or regionals. I just tend to call them the mid-level banks because it's really that position of, again, size number five or six all the way out to like 25 or 30. They right. all have the capabilities you're looking for. Citizens Bank would fit into that that category as well. They can, they can do what you need. Mm-hmm. They're probably not doing international trading and they don't, you know – they're not going to help you if you're in the middle of Europe and you somehow need to cash a check. That's probably not their forte. Right. But, you know, that you're probably looking at wanting a J.P. Morgan involved at that point or Citigroup. Um, but they can do fantastic work. They can, again, they can offer the things that citizens, uh, that individuals and businesses both need for normal business operations. Yeah. That's a reasonable answer. Thank you. I liked it. It felt a little complicated, but hopefully... No, it made sense. Hopefully it comes across the right way. It did. It did. It came across just right because, you know, I always try to put things in layman's terms. You know, just yeah. uh, how is a radio host going to understand this? Or how is, you know, the, the guy sitting in his chair just listening to the radio? Oh, we have a call. There Ooh. you go. Good morning, caller. You are on WLVL with Mr. Eric Connor. What is your comment, thought, or question, please? Yes, it's a good two-part question. How solid is Wells Fargo Bank? And what's it look like for the bond market? And I'll take my answer off the air. You can actually stick around if you want because he might have a question for you. There you go. So I wrote it down, so I'll catch both parts. I'm going to start with the bond market for a second because we didn't touch on it directly. So we do, uh, with the latest increase in, in interest rates on Wednesday, 
we have sat here now with an inverted yield curve, meaning short-term rates are higher than long-term rates. We've now had a yield inverted yield curve for like 15 months, some some crazy amount of time. Historically, inverted yield curves lead to a recession, but they don't tell you how fast that recession might come on. So when your question is, what's the outlook in the bond market? Those longer term yields have not climbed greatly. They are still, you know, 10 years, 20, 30 years. They are still in the 3.3% range, 3 to 0.6, somewhere in there. And you now have short-term rates around 5. So I think there's a disconnect that can't last forever. There's a belief that we're going to eventually get our way into a recession. And what will happen at that time is the Fed will need to cut rates. And then we won't have an inverted yield curve anymore. So I don't know if that's going to happen in three months or six months or nine months, but that is what the bond market keeps telling us is that they believe that this inverted yield curve will not be here forever and that the Fed will have to cut those short-term rates. I think probably we're not – I don't think you're going to see rate cuts at all before September at a minimum, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's longer than that still. So the, I started with that. Hopefully that I could get that answer out fully. For Wells Fargo, um, it, they are considered one of the big four, and they are a globally systemic important bank. And so the government puts those four companies, again, J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo, they put them into a different category. They basically protect them and say, you guys are so big and so important that we're going to, in essence, back you up against major, major problems. Um, Saying that, Wells Fargo has been in the penalty box with the government because of their mischief in creating fictitious accounts and their underwriting problems and some of their mortgage scandal problems. Um, so it hasn't been a personal favorite of mine, but in the last, uh, 12, 18 months, somewhere in there, they certainly have recovered some in their stock price. It's, it's, um, a little bit better than what it used to be. Does that help you with your question about Wells Fargo? Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling in. All right. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate you. Yeah. Wells Fargo is, is, uh, sort of the, um, uh, they're the one that's had the, the black eye of, of those big four. Right. Uh, they've stumbled their way into, into some bad PR over, over the last, you know, two, three, four, five years, sort of one thing after another. Um, so it's, it's not a comment about whether you should or shouldn't buy the stock, but they are so large that it's hard to ignore them and not pay attention to what's going on right. with them and with their business itself. Wow, what an interesting conversation we've had this morning. Thank you so much, Eric. Folks, you've been listening to Mr. Eric Connor from Connor Wealth Management, located at 5860 Snyder Drive here in Lockport. If you would like to have a consultation with him, please grab a pencil and write down 439-1143. 439-1143. Final thoughts there, Eric. we got about 25 seconds. Mm. Uh, I'm noticing a problem with my schedule in two weeks. 
My son is graduating from UB, so we're going to have to talk about whether I can actually be here in two weeks. Stay tuned. Oh, okay. We will find Yeesh. a solution. Sorry There's about a that. solution to every problem, right? <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll uh, see you next time here on WLVL 1340 AM.